All right, all right. Praise God. Man, so much to be excited about, and I'm not even talking about the Phillies, bro. You know I wouldn't be talking about the Phillies. You know, I just, you know. But, but it's so much to be excited about. Man, God is so good. He is so good. I, I believe that every time we have these, because uh, we have like probably three or about three or four baptisms a year, and every time we do this, it's just a reminder, like, man, God is so good. How he continues to transform lives as people continue to desire their relationship with him, as people continue to just saying, you know what, enough with the old me. I'm ready to be new in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Man, exciting. Yes, Ruby, exciting. There once was this drunk guy, right? Everybody's like, oh, drunk guy walks this right now. There once was this drunk guy, and he stumbled upon, like, he, he, you know, he was drinking pretty heavily all through Saturday night into early Sunday morning and on, into the afternoon on Sunday. His guy went on a bench. It's Sunday afternoon, and he's drunk, and he stumbles upon a small group of people, a little church that's down by the river doing baptisms, having a baptism service. This gentleman, this drunk gentleman, decides, I'm just going to go in the water. And so while the pastor is bringing a message from the water, this pastor goes in the water and he's bringing a message before the baptism starts, he makes his way down into the water and he stands right next to the pastor. So the pastor's speaking and eventually the pastor looks over and he says, sir, do you want to find Jesus? And the drunk guy says, yes, I do, pastor. He says, amen. Let's give it up for, and, you know, he wants to find Jesus. Everybody's like, woo, praise God. He's like, I'm going to baptize you right now. And he dips him to the water, and he pulls him out, and he says, sir, did you find Jesus? And he's like, no, pastor, I did not. And the pastor says, okay, hold on a second. And he takes him. And he dips him again and holds him just a little longer than before. And he pulls him back up. And he says, did you find Jesus now? He's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, now the pastor's getting a little frustrated. He's, you know, he's, he's trying to keep his composure. Everybody's looking at him. He's like, takes him. And he pushes him in the water. And now he's like holding him in there for a little bit, right? And the guy's a little, a little struggling. And he's holding him down there. And he pulls him back up. And the guy's like, <gasps> he's like, did you find him now? And he's like, Pastor, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. I, I, I laughed out loud when I read it, right? <laughs> At home, by myself, I just laughed out loud. The thing is, we don't get baptized. Like, baptism isn't where you find Jesus. And that's what we have to understand. Some people say, oh, I want to get baptized, thinking like, oh, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. Let me get baptized. And that's not, that's not what it means. We don't get baptized to find Jesus. We get baptized after you've found him. That's what you do once you find him. I want to read some verses to you today, and my message won't be very long, I promise. 
Um, Acts 22, verse 6. Acts 22, verse uh, 6 through 16. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. If you, if you, if you didn't catch it, this is Paul retelling the story of when he was on his way to Damascus, when he was on his way to persecute Christians, when he was on his way to hunt them down, arrest them, and then gather them up so they could be slaughtered and killed. This is, what, this is what Saul was doing. He had a plan. He had gotten authority from the, the higher-ups, and they were like, all right, go to Damascus. I'm going to go to Damascus. I'm going to gather them up. I'm going to bring them over. We're going to take them out because this is, this is a, a poison amongst the Jewish uh, people, this Christianity stuff. And so he was there on a mission to kill, to destroy the Christians in that moment. So at this moment, he's definitely not a good man. We can say he's not a good man. He did bad, very bad things in the name of the religious law. And um, just as perhaps many of us may have done some wrong things, you know, you ever do something wrong and try to justify it? You know, you try to settle your own guilt by saying it was for the good. Pastor, if I didn't punch that dude in the face, he would have hurt somebody else. It was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time before somebody would. I was just taking it away from them. I didn't want them to go through it. So I just thought I'd handle it myself. Well, Pastor, you know, I mean, they're stealing from everybody else anyway. So I didn't think it was a big deal, me taking a little something from them. And so sometimes we... We still do some wrong things, and we try to justify it with good reason, right? Like Paul was doing. 
He was doing wrong things, but he was justifying it because, no, this is the Jewish law. We, we, we got to maintain this. The reality is that we all have a long list of offenses. Um, the guys that went with me to the, to the men's conference, one of the speakers gave a testimony about his mother's prayer list. He brought it. He brought it with him, the original prayer list that his mother had. Chris, what did it look like? He, he did one of these numbers, like, and it reached the floor. It, it, it looked like a scroll. It reached the floor from his hand, from up here. And his mother was in the building with him. Like, she came with him to the church. So, like, you know, like he said, this is my mom's prayer list when I, was away, when I wasn't serving the Lord. And she prayed and trusted God. The thing is, some of us, we don't have prayer lists that long. We have rap sheets that long. Right? We have rap. I mean, listen, some of us, well, pastor, I've never been arrested. Well, no, listen, God keeps, he's got record of it all. He's got record of it all, right? I mean, he, we all know. We all know. We gotta hold, we're going to be held accountable for everything that we've ever done. However, the cool thing about baptism, you see, it, it kind of doesn't make sense sometimes. Like, oh, God knows everything. He does. But baptism gives you an opportunity right? That on your, on your slate, he wipes it clean. He wipes it clean. We all have rap sheets that reach the floor, even those really nice, quiet ones. You see what you do sometimes? He's like, my sister, my, my sister that passed away, uh, her name was Yusef. And growing up, I got all the beatings. I did. I got the one, I got the correa, I got the belt, me. I did something wrong, I got spanked. She did something wrong, I got spanked. <laughs> the baby did something wrong, my baby sister, who's not a baby anymore, I got, I got spanked. I, it was just like, who did, it doesn't matter who did it. Vince, come here. <laughs> it doesn't matter who did it. But the thing about my sister was that she was so sneaky. Like she had it down to a science. Like, she never got caught, like, doing anything. And then it was, like, it, it was like if she did something and then walked by and was like, oh, hold this. And I'm like, oh, okay. My mom walked in the room. <laughs> I, that's, how, that's how perfect she had it down to a science. Like, she knew, oh, we get, somebody's getting caught. You're taking, you taking the rap for this, not me. We all, we, even those the quiet ones, because she was always quiet, even the quiet ones, we, you know, we have our things, right? Baptism is that great image of being washed clean of everything that we've done. The image of baptism is symbolic of so many things, but one of those things is the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. It's the, forgive, it's the symbol of the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. He washes us clean so that all the things we ever did wrong are removed from us. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I'm going to tell you why he does that. Like why, why would Jesus want to wipe away all the dirt and make me clean? Why would he want to wipe the slate clean? Why would he want to do that? Keep listening. The answer is coming up in a minute. I want to read first. I want to read John chapter 8, verse 3 to 11. As he, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law, 
the teachers of religious law, and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to get him caught up. Oh, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, stone her. But let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. With the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, where, where are your accusers? Where is everyone that accused you? Didn't even one condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine this woman's walk home after this? Like, let's, let, let's, let's, take, let's, take, let's think about this. First of all, they said that she was caught in the act. So if y'all don't know what that means, they was involved at the moment, her and a, and a, and a man who, by the way, technically they should have grabbed him too, right? Adultery was happening, but they grabbed her, and they dragged her to, in front of Jesus, and they said, we just caught her in the act. How convenient. How convenient that they just happened to catch her at that moment when Jesus was talking to the people. And they said, the law of Moses says we get to kill her because she is an adulterous woman. What do you say? So this is where you put Jesus in a situation because now if he says kill her, right, under Jewish law, they would have killed her. It would have been fine. But now under the Roman law, that was not, they, they weren't like, they're like, oh, you can't just kill somebody because of that. And so it could have put Jesus in some trouble with the Romans if he would have said do it. And if he says don't do it, like, <gasps> and you call yourself a teacher, a prophet, and you're not going to obey the law of Moses? So they put him thinking, ah, oh, we got him now. We got him now. You know, the devil, many times, he, he, he looks at us and he does things and he, and he tempts us and we fall and he establishes strongholds and he does all these things that we talked about for so many weeks, which, by the way, like, I, I oh, no, I'm not going to talk about that. I really enjoyed the battle series with, with you guys as a family. I think, it was, I think it was great. I'm so glad we could watch it again over and over and over again. You should have movie nights to watch, like to binge watch. No, I'm not playing. <laughs> People are like, Pastor, you're taking it too far. Pastor, you're taking it too far. Um, so the devil, what he does is he puts us, he tempts us, he sets up strongholds, he, he, he makes us trip, he makes us fall, and then it's almost like he says, ha, ha. Jesus, I mean, Look, look at this. I mean, they might as well, you might as well condemn them. to. I mean, look, they sin. They deserve death. They deserve death. 
they've rebelled against you, they've lied. And you go down the list. I mean, how many of us have rebelled? How many of us have lied? How many of us have turned our back? How many of us, I mean, I'm telling you, our lifestyles don't please him. And the devil's like, what you going to do about that? Because you know that technically they should just die. And just as he says, I don't condemn you, he tells us today, I don't condemn you. And all that we've done can be washed clean when we come to Christ. He says, he says, she deserved to die, but Jesus removed the punishment from her. He removes it from her. This is what he does for us. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How many of us have sinned? So technically, we all deserve to die. We all deserve death. We all deserve. But the free gift, meaning you ain't paying for it, it's free to you. It costs Jesus something, but it's free to you. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, we've inherited the punishment <laughs> from Adam and Eve. And then, not only that, but then we joined them, we joined in to the punishment with our own sin. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, in his death and resurrection, pays the punishment for our sin. He washes us clean so that when God looks at us, this is, this is the answer. Remember, I said, why? Why does he worry about washing us clean? Why, is it, why, do we, why, why does he do that to, for us? He washes us clean so when God the Father looks at us, we are clean, pure, spotless before him. I want you to get a picture of this. Here is God the Father, right? Holy, a magnificent, sovereign, just like, you know, like uh, in all his majesty, right? Who will go before someone like that in rags? Who will go in rags before a king? You would put on your best, Right? Unfortunately, we can't put on our best. Nothing we can do for us prepares us to be in the presence of God. And that's why we needed Jesus. And what Jesus does is when he washes us and when we, when we surrender our lives to us, we give our lives to him, he clothes us. And we're going to talk about that. He, we, we put him on. And as we put him on now, we can stand before God because we are clothed. With Christ. That's why it's so important. Romans 8, chapter 1 says, Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, um, in baptism, when we enter the water, we leave the old man. We leave the old man in there. And for, for you and Angelica, the old woman stays in there. And when we come out, we are new. 
And like I mentioned, clothed with Christ. So there's a there's some theories that go back and forth. Some people say it was like this. Some people say it wasn't. I'm not telling you which one. I'm just going to tell you what some people debate about. Um, some people debate that in early Christianity, they would, ba- they would baptize naked. Men would have a separate baptism service. The women would have a separate baptism service. And the point of nude baptism was to show that you are going, you are leaving it all. You're not taking anything with you. And then when you come out of the water, they clothe you with a white robe symbolizing being covered in Christ. Now, we, we ain't doing that, right? That's not, that's not that kind of church. But, but the concept of, of going before God and saying, you know what? I leave it all. I come to you with just me, and I want you to have all of me. And then we, leave, we just go in there, which, by the way, if, if anyone's ever played, like, sports or part of the military, there's, there's lots of moments that everyone's naked together, like, same, you know, same. And, and some people are like, oh, heck no, Pastor, I ain't down with that. I know, but sometimes you just don't have a choice, okay? And, and you know what? If you've never been naked in front of a lot of people, it's like a humbling experience. It's like, you know, you're like, oh, my goodness. You know, it, it's It's different. It's different. And so going into the water with no clothes was a humbling experience to say, I humble myself before you, Lord, and before the world to show that I want to be clothed by you. Now, again, some people say it was a practice of the early church. Some people say there was no, there, there's no biblical grounds for that. And so I'm not saying it was or not. I'm just saying it's something I read. But the concept of why I just wanted to share with you, being humbled before God, before people, and today we are humbled before God, before people to say, you know what, God, I leave it all. I'm going to leave the old man, the old woman there. I'm going to come up new. I'm going to come up new. Jesus, he takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. There's a writer called, author called Corey Ten Boone. Corey Tamboon was way back in the day around um, when the Nazis were rounding up the Jews. He, he was most known for personally saving 800 Jews from being persecuted, right? And he wrote tons of stuff. And one of his quotes, it says something about, he, he adds to the God takes as far as, oh, she, she, I'm sorry. She, it's, oh, it's like, um, she adds to one of, to this, east is for the far, east from the west. She says, she says that um, God, you know, he throws our sins from the east to the west, our sins as far as the east is from the west. And then she adds, and he buries them in the deepest sea and puts up a sign that says no fishing. Because you know that our enemy, Satan, he loves deep sea fishing. He loves it. He goes out there. And he tries to catch those things of the past and bring it up when you least expect it. You ever, you ever have an amazing time, amazing time in worship, amazing time just in the presence of God, an amazing moment, and God is doing something. You walk out the door, and he smacks you with something that happened years ago. And you're like, I thought I was over this. Why is this coming up now? Because that's his plan. He goes deep sea fishing. He tries to bring it back up. 
We all have that sin in our lives that weighs us down. You see, what he does is, first of all, he wants to bring, he wants to cause us shame and condemnation. Remember, I just read the verse. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, but he wants to do, he wants you to feel condemned. He wants you to feel like there's no hope. He wants you to feel like that's it, like you, you, that, that you can't do anything about it. You might as well not try anymore. We've all felt that way at some point, at some point, maybe in our earlier walk or, or even, even some in, our, in, in the middle of our, our relationship because sometimes we trust so much and we forget that his way is not our way, and this is where it happens. We forget that his way is not our way, and just because we've been praying for our way and don't get it, then all of a sudden, we lose hope. But that's why it's important to know the entire context of Scripture, to not be like, well, the Bible says pray, and he'll be given unto you. Yeah, yeah, he says that, but he also says pray according to my will, and that's important. That's important. In addition to the punishment that we already deserve, we feel guilt, we feel shame, we feel remorse, we feel condemnation, right, for the things that we've done to hurt others, to hurt ourselves and God. Now, if, if you guys never feel any of those things when you sin, right, when you do something wrong and you never feel remorse, you never feel a little guilt, conviction, shame, come then you are what psychiatrists call a sociopath. All right, we got, some, we got some students over there in the house. All right, we got some students. Now, there's even hope for sociopaths, okay? You just need deliverance quickly. But there's hope. There's hope. Sometimes we feel as if the things that we've done are tattooed on our soul. Some of us, we, we live through life and we're like, man, what I've done... It's, it's too bad. I can't take it away. It's going to be there. For, it's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. And we feel like it's tattooed to our soul. There's no erasing it. But yet I'm here to tell you that this thinking is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to think that there's no erasing it. He wants you to believe that. He wants, so that you can continue living this in a condemned state. But remember, there's no condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus. Do you believe in Christ Jesus? Amen. Amen. Going before Christ, confessing, repenting, he washes it all away. And if that doesn't bring you joy and hope, then I don't know what will. Can you imagine the worst things you've ever done? When you repent, confess, and give your life to him, he takes it away. A mother looked out the window. And at this moment, she sees little Johnny outside playing with three of the little kittens that they got in the house. In advance, sorry, Bonnie, if you're watching. You're watching. <laughs> so, so, so she takes three kittens, and he has them lined up as he's preaching to them. He's preaching to them, to these kittens, and he's, he's full of conviction. And he's telling them, you know, my sister used to do that to the, to the teddy bears, right? But he's got live kittens. And then she's like, okay, he's having fun. He's, pre you know, preaching to his kittens. I'm going to go do some housework. So she's doing some housework. And then a few moments later, she hears, like, the, mouth, the, the, the meowing and scratching on the door. And she's like, what's going on? So then she looks out the window to, and sees Johnny baptizing the kittens. <laughs> so she opens the windows. And she's like, Johnny, stop that. You'll drown those kittens. And Johnny looked at her, and with much conviction in his voice, 
He says, they should have thought about that before they joined my church. <laughs> That's exactly right. Don't worry, I'm not drowning anyone today. Going back to the adulterous woman, Jesus didn't just say that he doesn't condemn her. He adds one more thing. He says, go and sin no more. Johnny was trying to make sure they didn't sin no more. He was trying to end it right there. You accept Christ? All right. Die right now and you'll never sin again. <laughs> like, that, that, that was maybe Johnny's mentality. But the thing is this. We're not doing that today. John, you know, even though that's what Johnny was trying to do. But, but he does say to her, I don't condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. Sin no more. Baptism is also, uh, you know, what it does, we all have our, these things in our lives that we need to be cleansed of. And when we go to baptism, we get cleansed. But there are some things in our lives that need to die, right? There are some things in our lives that you need to be intentional about. There are some things in our lives that you have to make a decision to say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Patterns of unhealthy behavior. Wrong attitudes, habitual sins. Baptism is a picture of that death. We are leaving the old person behind that used to do those things, and we're coming out of the water new in Christ. Romans 6, 3 to 7 says this. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Some of you guys are like, oh, there's a song like that. There is, there is. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. In baptism, we are saying not only that we've been forgiven for all the wrong things that we've done, but we are committing to leaving those things behind. We are committing to leaving those things behind. We're no longer going to be a slave to our sins. You see, what happens is before Christ, our sins, they almost dictated your life, right? If you had addictions then your life was based around your addictions. If you were an alcoholic, then your life was based around, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this, but I'm going to drink on this time. I'm gonna, it was almost like you incorporated drinking into your day because your life was built around it. If you were a drug addict, the same way. But when we come to Christ... It's no longer the sins that dictate your life. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. Now, keep in mind that baptism will not make you perfect. Because we talk about it, but it's not going to make you perfect. But you're committing. Lord, I want to live my life right. I want to do my best. I want, I want, I want to seek you. I want to grow in, in my relationship with you. There was a church that believed in sinless perfection. Once you accepted Jesus Christ and got baptized. So what this means is, like, once you accepted Christ and got baptized, you could never sin again. This is what this church believed. Yeah, I know. All sorts of weird stuff, right? So, uh, 
a visitor to that church heard this teaching, and immediately he was like, yo, pastor, you, I need you to baptize me because I'm tired of dealing with my habitual sin, and if I accept Christ and you baptize me, then I won't, I won't sin anymore. Now, unfortunately, it was the middle of the winter, and the river was nearly frozen. So the man, with much resistance and kept pressuring the elders of the church, please, 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 the elders gave in and said, fine, we'll baptize you in the river. So they went down to the river, the frozen, nearly frozen river, and they baptized the man. He came out of that cold, freezing water, and he got like, "Woo!" He's like, I feel so good. He's like, I can't believe it. I'm not even cold. At that moment, the elders looked at each other. They shrugged. We got to do it again. Come on, guys. Sinless perfection. He came out of the water and he lied. So they got to do it again. Okay, I'll keep the jokes to a, like, a surface level, all right? Man. Tough crowd. Baptism doesn't fix us. It doesn't fix you. It doesn't make you perfect. Perhaps you will lie again after baptism. Perhaps you will think some thoughts that you shouldn't after baptism. Perhaps you will... You will even do things, go places that you really shouldn't after baptism. But baptism is a symbol and a sign that with God's help, with God's help, the life that you live before Jesus is dead. It's not the same. It's dead. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, you will continue to put to death the things, that, the things from that old life that go against God and his word. C.S. Lewis said this. A Christian is not one who never, get, who never goes wrong, but one who is able to repent and begin over again after each stumble because of the inner working of Christ. In closing, I'm going to close with this. Many of us today sitting here, we've been baptized. A lot of people have been baptized. And we're like, all right, pastor, we hear you talking about baptism. That's awesome. But, you know, I already, I already got baptized. <clears throat> you made the commitment before friends and family. You, you made that commitment before Christ that you were going to be new in him. Yet throughout the years, some of us have listened to the lies of the enemy. Some of us have allowed the enemy to go deep sea fishing. And when he shows up with those sins... We let, it, we let it weigh us down. We, lay it, we would let it affect us. How we live our lives and how we think our relationship with God is, all of it, it affects us. Some of us are still living in the shame and condemnation of the past and we haven't really given it to God. And because of that, it's caused you to fall back into habitual sin. So yes, these individuals are getting baptized today. But I hope and I pray that baptism today is a reminder of all those who've already taken the step of baptism that says, you know what? No, I made a commitment. 
I stood before God. I stood before my family. I stood before my friends. And I said I didn't want to be the same anymore. And I've allowed the enemy to come in and, and, and sway me in a direction that I was not supposed to go. So it doesn't mean that you need to get baptized again. What it means is that you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I want to reconcile my life today. Today.